broadcast it live. Hey, who wants to have some fun? There are balls coming from all over the place. Left field, center field, right field. See, this, this is the kind of thing, quite honestly, right now, that makes you want to see the Chicago Cubs team lose. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun, or do you really want to have fun? It'll be fun. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here? You don't live in Cleveland. Get in You talking to me? You talking to me? That is the farthest thing in the universe from the truth. Hello, everyone, live. It's the Dan Scott Show. And right there is your host, Dan Scott. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the show and the podcast. I am Dan Scott because nobody else wants to be. It is another Monday, and we are just incredibly happy to be here. We've got a lot to get to, as always, and we'll be joined, as we always are, by my good friend Tom Van Hoy, as well as Dave Glenn, coming up in the second half of the show to go around the Atlantic Coast Conference. The ACC Championship game is set for Notre Dame and Clemson on the 19th of this month. Neither of those teams in the new scheduling configuration will play on December the 12th, so we'll talk to Dave about that, talk some uh, early season ACC basketball, and see what else is going on, Uh, maybe not only inside the conference, but uh, around the larger picture of college athletics. As always, I want to remind you of a couple of things right here at the top. Uh, First of all, we are brought to you on the podcast side of things by our friends at Todaro Pizza. Uh, the uh, North Markley Street location in downtown Greenville, the west end of Greenville, just down from Floor Field at the west end where the Greenville Drive play. Uh, went and saw John uh, last week, had a, a great visit with him, and uh, reaffirmed uh, our commitment as partners moving forward in this thing. Uh, just uh, incredibly happy to be uh, partnered with Todaro Pizza. I, I've been a Todaro fan for almost 20 years, as hard as that is to believe. The pizza is fantastic, but it's the people. The, the, the Todaro family, John in Greenville, Chris in uh, Clemson, and everybody else that goes along with them that make them special. Uh, at Todaro right now, they are open seven days a week for inside and outside dining. They're not doing the lunch buffet at the moment because of, uh, obviously, COVID-19 parameters, and uh, they're not doing some of the other specials they do, but they are open. In Clemson, they are open for pickup and delivery only. You can find out more at the website, todaropizza.com. And uh, also, uh, from the Greenville location, you can check out their Facebook page, Todaro Pizza in Greenville. Also, if you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you from uh, an email side, thedanscottshow at gmail.com, thedanscottshow at gmail.com. And if you're a podcast listener, you can either hit the email address or you can just leave a comment wherever you uh, are checking us out from a from a, a podcast platform, whether it's iTunes or Google Play or Spotify. We're on just about every platform you can imagine. So check it out. Drop us a comment. Interact with us. And do us a favor, folks. Share. We need the uh, podcast and the radio show to continue to grow. Things are going well, but they can always get better. Okay? All right. We'll take a break. We'll come back. 
and we'll dive headlong into uh, this first segment of the show. Tom Van Hoy and I will kick some things around on the other side. Don't go away. This is the Dan Scott Show and, he said, the Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast. We are back and just getting things cranked up on this edition of the Dan Scott Show and Grumpy Old Broadcasters, the podcast. I'm Dan Scott. One of the grumpy guys, another one, uh, he's with us every week. Tom Van Hoy is here. Dave Glenn will be joining us later. And, uh, well, Thomas, good to see you again. It's not like I haven't seen you here in just uh, the last couple of days or so. I actually got to do a road basketball game, man. How about that? Yeah, I called you. Charleston let us come in, and uh, that, that was nice to, to get on the road and, you know, wear our masks doing the broadcast. That's fine, too. They I think they let in, what, 1,500 or so in, in a 5,000-seat arena, and, you know, Paladins needed to get on the road. They needed to play some uh, somebody maybe at a little bit uh, higher level, and uh, they uh, they played uh, they played outstanding basketball. Yeah, it was fun to, to get on the road, and we're going to stay on the road a little bit, too. Yeah, that's the plan. Uh, anyway, as long as everybody tests the way they're supposed to test and do the things they're supposed to do. But uh, it'll be intriguing to see when the new Associated Press poll comes out. We're recording this on Monday morning, uh, so it comes out later today. By the time this show airs in Abbeville, it will already be out. Don't expect Furman to be in the top 25, but based on some things I've seen on Twitter this morning, I, I think we're going to start to see Furman receiving some votes in the top 25 this week. Well, that was an impressive win when you think about College of Charleston had gone in and had played uh, North Carolina in the first game of the year and missed their first 11 shots in that game, got down by 14, led in the second half, and then uh, uh, North Carolina had to finish that game off with a big run to eventually beat College of Charleston. They turned around beat Limestone as they should by 40, and then, you know, here's Furman who had three really good wins uh, against Tusculum and, and Upstate and, and Southern Wesleyan, who, by the way, played Mercer really tough on on uh, Sunday, and, and Furman handled them very well. So to beat them at home, I, I think it might raise a, a few eyebrows across uh, the college basketball spectrum. Yeah, very well could. Uh, we, we'll see what happens. The, the, the next challenge uh, for Furman is, is heading to the University of Cincinnati uh, on Wednesday for a 5 o'clock game, and, and that would be a, a, another nice road win. You know, it's interesting. You look back at the last two Furman seasons, both times starting 4-0, and so this is the third consecutive year they've started 4-0. and And um, two years ago, Game 5 was Villanova. And, and, of course, won that game, defeated the uh, defending national champs. Last year, game five was Alabama and, and lost a close one they very well could have won in Tuscaloosa last year. This year, game five is is on the road in Cincinnati. So it's interesting. You have three straight 4-0 and starts, and, and, and the fifth game in each of those years has been a significant road challenge. Well, and I think Furman wants to do that. They want to get on the road. They want to play. They want to be challenged. You know, and if you win those, like College uh, Loyal of Chicago and and also Villanova, who's the defending national champion uh, at, at that juncture, and, you know, that's where the 12-0 start and the national recognition for Furman, uh, you know, put them, put them on the national stage. So, And you challenge yourself. Your, your kids want to play these kind of games, too. And, 
And uh, if you win a game or two, and you look at the other ones that they played, we, you and I were in Georgia, and that was a close ball game. You did the Michigan game a couple of years ago, and it came down to what? They wiped, wiped off the Jeff Beach jumper along the baseline that would have tied the game, I think. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it gets you in the national conversation. Yeah, the Southern Conference, outstanding basketball, really good coaches in this league. We've seen Mike Young go go on to Virginia Tech and, you know, Steve Forbes last year is now Wake Forest. And, and, but to go on the road and play, quote-unquote, a power five and to win it, I mean, one thing to be competitive but to win it, then you do get some national recognition that you probably wouldn't have gotten if you, you know, won 12 in a row against um, maybe some, uh, uh, some quote-unquote, lower uh, type of quality competition. So, not afraid to play, want to play them. And if you can win those ball games and you, you know, it's all about getting your brand out there. And I think the last, you know, what, four or five years, I think people know who uh, nationally Furman is on the basketball court. Well, let's shift gears now. Let's talk about, uh, I guess, what's probably the biggest story here in the state of South Carolina right now. And that's the Gamecocks not wasting a whole lot of time in uh, replacing the uh, departed Will Muschamp at the head of their football program, Shane Beamer, who's a former South Carolina assistant and was the top assistant out at Oklahoma, has been hired as the new South Carolina football coach. Do you like that hire? Well, I mean, it's uh, a guy that has been familiar with the program. And and I think outside looking in, if you're a South Carolina fan, do you want a bigger name? And I mean, everybody does. I mean, Will uh, Will Muschamp had been the head coach at at Florida when it didn't work out there and thought maybe work out at at South Carolina. But on the other hand, you look at, and we've talked about it before, where Dabo Sweeney came from. He'd never been a coordinator. And, you know, Shane Beamer, of course, with the background with his dad, the Virginia Tech, he played there, was a long snapper. He was on staff there and 43 years old, been seven places and all of them division one level. And at Oklahoma as uh, the last couple of years as the assistant uh, uh, on the offensive side to Lincoln Riley. I mean, Lincoln Riley probably got him doing most of that there. But still with uh, that designation and I think uh, from that standpoint, well-known name in the South, hasn't been a head coach young enough at 43 connected uh, as well was a recruiting coordinator at uh, at South Carolina as well and you know he he was in the mix with the, some of the some of the big name guys Stefan Gilmore and Alshon Jeffrey and DJ Swearingen and Connor Shaw Marcus Lattimore he was along for a, a lot of that so I think uh, you can kind of put some of the the experience as not having been a head coach because as you well know you've been around long enough there it's it's a tremendous change from being an assistant coach it is to to all the things you have to take care of as a head coach i think ray tanner had said at the asset and he got it done that he wanted to have a head coach on board before the uh, the signing period which is coming up and you know they've lost a couple of commitments and you know try to shore those things up and and i, I guess we'll see i think uh, a lot of people always want to make a splash with a you know maybe a, a a head coach, somebody that's had the experience. Even when you're talking about, uh, you know, Billy Napier had had the three years uh, at Louisiana and had been a head coach there. His name had been in the uh, in the mix as well as some other ones as well. So I think it'll be interesting to see the, to see the reaction by the Gamecock fans. Well, another coach in this state whose star continues to rise is a guy that you and I have known for years since he was back at North Greenville. University as the head football yeah. coach, and that's Jamie Chadwell. 
with a win over BYU this week and the way that game ended getting so much national attention. It was a nationally televised football game. And the Chanticleers, who were picked near the bottom of their league in preseason, remain undefeated. And Jamie Chadwell, who is in his second full year as the head coach of the Chanticleer program down at Coastal Carolina, you, you got to feel like his star is rising as well. Man, how, how about that and, and uh, how the game came about? I think Coastal Carolina was supposed to – interesting in itself, weren't they supposed to play Liberty and you freeze team mm-hmm. and, and, and Coach Freeze had gotten them into the top 25. That, that in our part of the country anyway, would have been a – what a heck of a game uh, anyway. But then BYU, who really searched for games throughout the course of the year, they wanted to play. And, you know, you put this game together, you fly 2,200 miles, and you've got uh, one of the best, quote-unquote, quarterbacks in, in the country, high-flying, see what they can do. And, you know, lo and behold, here's Coastal Carolina, and th- they get it done. It, it was in dramatic fashion there. The, the pass was completed and tackled. Uh, at the one yard line, but from coastal Carolinas, you know, and there's probably people across the country going, well, what are they like, like we were, or I was many years ago when I moved out here, Shannon, what the heck's is Shannon clear? You know? So people, at, I think know that now at this moment, it's the dominant chicken in the state well, of South Carolina. <laughs> there, you, there you go. But yeah, just, uh, outstanding yeah, I think you said you, you was your first game or you broadcast a game down there my, my very first college football broadcast when I took the Furman job in the 2011 season was Furman at Co- Coastal Carolina and the Paladins lost a, a one score game on the road down there you know Dan took quite a bit of national conversation about how this game came about and you know we're seeing it in, in basketball right now too because of COVID and everything else that uh, and it was an entertaining game. It was a fun game. Uh, that these types of games can happen if you can have some flexibility. And nobody wants, to a certain extent, to have that flexibility because you want it, you know, written in stone for the next twelve years who you're going to play, when you're going to play them, and uh, it's all about winning and having a chance to maybe go to a to. At the, at the highest level to go to the playoffs or maybe a, a, a big bowl game. But this was a kind of cool situation where it was looked at from a national standpoint. You know what? If you can create games like this at the end of the year, it, it and it's got to fit with the, the conference. We see the we see the SEC over the years play one, one a game like this, but it's, it's usually not this type of competitive game. It'll be, you know, a, a game where somebody comes in and gets quite a bit of money and it's and that type of thing. But there was pretty good conversation about if you could have some flexibility and you could get these kind of games this late in the year. And uh, it was an entertaining game for sure. I'm not sure that could happen, but there was pretty good conversation about that. Well, I, I think what we saw was the, the, the two teams who were willing to be this flexible in this yeah. COVID era that we're playing in right now were able to uh, provide us with that kind of entertainment. And I'm sure there are people – uh, out in in Provo, Utah, saying now, well, we never should have taken that game. But you know what? Kudos to them for being willing to do yes. it. Yes. In 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 the scenario that we're in right now, did it cost them an undefeated season? Yeah, it did. But at least they were aggressive about it, and they didn't sit back and just rest on what they had. They said, "Hey, let's go play." And you know, I've had several conversations with Furman head basketball coach Bob Ritchie about this whole thing. You know, the kids had a lot. Uh, young men, young women had a lot taken away from them. Uh, last spring 
and and some this fall. Um, anything we can do to give them the opportunity to play, we need to be doing. So I, I tip my hat to both BYU and Coastal Carolina, and Coastal Carolina ended up getting the better end of the deal. Tom, we need to take a break uh, because I anticipate we've got a lot to discuss with yes. Dave Glenn of ACCSports.com. You think? You're, you're like Karnak. You can predict the future now, right? Yeah, that, that and a little <laughs> clever editing, and no one will ever know the difference. Dan Scott Show <laughs> slash Grumpy Old Broadcasters will return in just a moment. All right, second half of the show, we are back. Second half of the podcast as well. Funny how that works. Dan Scott Show in Abbeville. Lee Collins will be coming up next for those of you who are listening on WZLA in Abbeville. And, uh, you know, that state championship football game got pushed back a little bit. So you got a couple of more weeks to kind of let that thing simmer before uh, Abbeville gets a chance to to win yet another title. But uh, for those of you who are listening on the podcast, depending on when you're listening to it. It may have already happened. That's kind of how this thing works. We are, as always, uh, ready to roll and happy to have uh, our guy with us. Dave Glenn, accsports.com, is joining us to uh, do everything that he does on this program, talk all things Atlantic Coast Conference and beyond. We like to step into the bigger picture from time to time. Basically, we'll do whatever we can to fill about a 20-minute segment. <laughs> David, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Dan. Some guys have called me an innings eater. Yes. Dating back to my pitching days. Glenn, just get a six innings, man. Try And in baseball, try not to make them too interesting. In radio, try to make them interesting. <laughs> Funny how that works, but it's the same end game. Uh, you got all four Glenn family members under the same roof for the first time in a while, huh? Yeah, uh, both of our children are in college, so we, you know, the phrase is empty nesters, although I'm not sure that's entirely true until they're out of college, and maybe even a little beyond that, because my son's a senior at ECU, my daughter's a freshman at App State, both in-state universities here in North Carolina, Uh, but we had not had everybody under the same roof since August, when we sent them away for the fall semester, so yeah, Four people and a dog once again after a much quieter house for quite a while. You got a white picket fence, too, dude? (laughs) (laughs) No no fence in the front. We got maybe a brown picket fence in the back. Uh, We have a crowded driveway, more cars around than ever. Uh, But, yeah, we're still in semi-lockdown mode here. So uh, even though everybody's home, it's not – exactly yet the normal course of things yeah i i feel your pain a little bit because uh, my oldest daughter my youngest daughter and her husband and baby are are staying with us for most of the month of december while they're transitioning moving from charleston here to the greenville south carolina area so we have five people and three dogs uh, in in the house for about a (laughs) four-week stretch so anytime i can you know kind of sneak into my office here it's just 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 me and the computer i'm you know it's cool do love that grandbaby though do love that grandbaby. Hey, hey, let's uh, let, let's jump into this. Let, let's start basketball wise, and, and then kind of work our way back to some things. But uh, uh, the ACC Big Ten Challenge is coming up. As long as everybody tests the way they're supposed to test, and, yeah. and we could see some pretty good basketball. 
Yeah, for example, you know, Carolina and Duke, it's not like we're surprised to see them in the national headlines in basketball, but the Tar Heels look intriguing. They're ranked in the national top 15, and they get number three Iowa in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. So Roy Williams, they have only one loss to Texas, which is a good team. But you can tell that the Tar Heels, who are playing two true freshman guards, a five-star point guard named Caleb Love and a really exciting wing named R.J. Davis, you can tell they're freshmen, but you can also see the talent. Uh, So they have not yet played consistent basketball. Roy Williams needs really good guards to do things the way he wants to do them at Carolina. So especially going on the road, you know, against the number three team in the nation, Iowa, uh, that'll be among the highlights in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And then I I think as we spoke about last week, Duke, which is ranked in the top ten, the Blue Devils' five best players are three true freshmen and two evolving sophomores who were kind of not asked to be the main man last year. So it's, it's Matthew Hurt and Wendell Moore Jr. in the sophomore class. And it's three true freshmen led by a guy named Jalen Johnson. So kind of like the Tar Heels, it's not like we haven't seen the Blue Devils talent, but when you're under COVID restrictions and you're not practicing as much and you don't know each other as well, and your five best players are three true freshmen and two sophomores, now, Duke lost at home to Michigan State. So we're not used to seeing Duke and Carolina with these early season non-conference losses. And they both have them as Duke hosts number five, Illinois, and as Carolina visits number three, Iowa. And then on uh, Wednesday night, Louisville goes to number four, Wisconsin. The Cardinals haven't lost yet. Uh, they have a pretty good team, in my opinion, but they're playing at the number four team in the nation in the Badgers. And then Florida State's ranked in the national top 25. The Seminoles get Indiana. So that's a chance to see four of the best teams in the ACC against four of the better teams, uh, or maybe the three best teams in the Big Ten. And uh, it's been a pretty exciting ACC Big Ten challenge in many past years. I think there's a whole bunch of games to look forward to again this year. At least Duke and Carolina fans can take solace that they're not Kentucky right now, which is off to its (laughs) worst start in 20 years. You're not kidding. And it's funny, the ACC half of that equation, since Georgia Tech just thumped the Kentucky Wildcats a week ago, I think we were all talking about sort of the the highest highs of the early ACC basketball season, but also the lowest lows. So just as, you know, Virginia Tech got that win over Villanova and Clemson got that win over Purdue and Louisville got that win over Seton Hall and some others, Georgia Tech starting 0-2 was probably the lowest of the low because Josh Pastner's in a hot seat kind of year with the Yellow Jackets. And his first two games were against in-state opponents, and he lost to Mercer, and he lost to Georgia State. So how do you go from losing, in one case badly, to two in-state opponents you're supposed to beat in non-conference play to not only beating a ranked Kentucky team but absolutely thumping the Wildcats I mean, I guess that fits our expect the unexpected theme that we've had all year long, pretty much. Uh, but certainly it was a nice step in the right direction for Georgia Tech. And it, I, I imagine if you or I hosted a radio show in the Commonwealth of Kentucky this week, uh, we would not be short for material. 
Well, yeah, and on top of that, uh, Mercer beat Georgia State after Georgia State had beaten Georgia Tech and Mercer beaten uh, Georgia Tech a, a, as well. How about uh, what Mike Young has done at at, uh, at Virginia Tech? And, you know, VMI played him pretty tough, but you, know, you can kind of understand that a little bit. And then you got Steve Forbes at Wake Forest. He's got a couple of Southern Conference former head coaches that are now in the ACC. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Tom, my favorite part of that story, you guys might even have, you know, a better window into it than I do. To me, it, it's, the news is not that Mike Young can coach, right? We, we even saw no, that yeah. last year when he didn't have enough players at Virginia Tech. But he showed for 17 years at Wofford that he knew how to coach. And he, he even got the Hokies to a 16-16 and 16 record last year when the talent was not quite that good. Keve Aluma mm-hmm. is one of those guys who was a Mike Young player at Wofford and did the traditional sit-out thing where you sit out a year and then this year he's eligible. You're talking about a six foot nine, 240 pound guy who, if I remember correctly, was not averaging double doubles at Wofford. He was a nice player, but he was not, you know, an all conference player at Wofford. So he follows Mike Young to Blacksburg. He's out of the gate. Remember the Hokies have several really good guards, but they have had nothing in the post. So now they have Keve Aluma, you know, he's averaging like 18 points and seven rebounds a game. That's, and that's not through one or two games. That, the Hokies have played, I think, five or six games at this point. Uh, that is a huge development for a Virginia Tech team that believes it can go from uh, an, a so-so start for Mike Young, again, overachieving but still a 500 record. They still have those really good guards, and now they might have found a gem in the post. If you give Mike Young that kind of balance, uh, I think the Hokies have a shot to make a run in an NCAA tournament bid in Mike Young's second year in Blacksburg, which would be one heck of a story. Yeah, when Aluma was with him at, at Wofford, Wofford had a, a really veteran team, and, and he was more of a bit player or a role player at that early stage of his career. But it's amazing what a little maturity will do and – an opportunity if there's no real competition for that post spot in a place that needs a post player. That's exactly right, Dan, because if anybody remembers the Hokies, they were not all that memorable last year, but they have an elite defender at point guard and a guy named Wabisa Beatty. They have uh, an all-around guy named Tyrese Radford, who's a wing player, but he kind of rebounds like a big guy. They have shooters like Jalen Cohn and Hunter Couture. They just had nothing in the post. I mean, they were playing with four guards and a guy that, you know, you asked to mostly set pits, picks and try to grab some rebounds and, and you know, just hold your own down low. If they have, if, if Wofford transfer Keve Luma can sustain or even come close to sustaining this start, you know, the, the contenders at the top are still Duke and Virginia and Carolina and Florida State and others. But there's this midsection of six to eight teams. Uh, there's only a couple of teams at the bottom that don't have much of a shot. And I think Clemson and Virginia Tech are two of those middle-of-the-pack teams that have really looked good here in the, in the early season. Uh, and maybe that allows you to build the kind of confidence that you need to win your close games moving forward, which is exactly what you have to do as we get closer to conference play because we know we're going to see a lot of close games come ACC competition. Dave Glenn so with Dave us. Is, Go ahead, Tom. 
I was going to say, so, so I was going to ask you about Virginia and, and how poorly they shot the threes last year and, and the way they started this year with they made a bunch of them look good, they missed a bunch of them, didn't look very good. Are they a team that's going to rely on the three-point shot this year to be successful? It's a great question. Uh, I don't think we know the answer yet. They're going to have to shoot better than they did last year to be what they want to be, obviously. I think part of the problem at UVA right now is that two of their best players are wearing UVA uniforms for the first time. One's a Marquette transfer named Sam Hauser. Uh, he might lead the Cavaliers in scoring and rebounding, uh, but he missed a potential game-winning three in that uh, close loss to San Francisco that surprised everybody. But another of the Cavaliers' best players is a guy named Trey Murphy III. He's a Rice transfer. So we don't typically think of Tony Bennett utilizing transfers, but along with the guys we remember from last year, you know, Kihei Clark from the point guard position, Jay Hoff from the big man spot, you know, they lost some, a couple of good seniors in, in Mamadi Diakite uh, in Braxton Key. So when two of your best players are wearing a UVA uniform for the first time, and even a freshman named Reese Beekman that they're using a lot in the backcourt, that means three of your top six don't know each other very well. I think that's part of the indigestion at UVA, just as it is at Duke and Carolina, leaning all those on all those young players. You know, by February at the latest, I think all three of those will be better versions of themselves. At the beginning, you know, you'd expect teams that have more returning players uh, to kind of be closer to uh, their potential, even at places like Virginia Tech and Clemson, where there are some newcomers, but also a lot of guys who know each other well. And in the case of Clemson, you know, a wonderful story where Amir Sims decides to stay for his senior year. Uh, that Instead of him leaving early, you know, you automatically have an all-ACC player at forward. And, and that's one of the reasons the Tigers have a nice chance to make a leap up the standings. Dave Glenn with us, accsports.com and uh, The Athletic, Athletic Subsite, uh, Athletic Carolinas. By the way, Dave, I took advantage on Black Friday – Got my subscription one dollar a month for twelve All right. months. For, All right, for twelve months. I am. I am. Sadly, on. that that big cash does not go directly into my pocket, <laughs> despite my best negotiating tactics. Uh, but we certainly appreciate the loyalty. It's a crazy time in the sports media world, so we thank everybody for their support. You know, if you had a good lawyer, you could probably get a better deal. <laughs> there are times in my career that I negotiate. I'll put it this way. Uh, losing my statewide syndicated radio show this past year uh, because of the pandemic and some other things, I was glad that I was the one that wrote the contract 11 years earlier because the Glenn family is still happily living off the buyout money because of terminology that I put into that contract. <laughs> nice. Very, very nice. Let, let, let's, let's shift that to law school. I just paid for my law school education and then some with that one. I love it. Uh, let's, let's shift to football now. We, we have a unique situation in this entire 2020 football season. Obviously, it's been unique, not just in the ACC, but across the country. But looking at the, the four-team college football playoff potential field, we have a, a situation here where if Clemson beats Notre Dame, there's a possibility that for the first time in the football playoff era at the uh, Power 5 level, that we could have a conference championship loser perhaps make that field of four. Some things would have to happen, but it's not out of the realm of possibility, right? 
Yeah, it's crazy, Dan. I did a deep dive on this, and this is year seven of the college football playoff. One way to put the long story short would be, I think we're on the cusp of seeing one thing that has become almost routine, and that is, as long as Alabama beats Florida in the SEC title game, guess what? We see the tide for the sixth time in seven years of the college football playoff. As long as Clemson beats Notre Dame in this rematch in the ACC title game, we will see the Tigers for the sixth time in a seven-year mm. format. And if Ohio State keeps winning and is the Big Ten champion and undefeated, we will see the Buckeyes for the fourth time in seven years of this format. So some are getting tired of seeing the same teams. Can't blame those teams for being so good. But I think we're on the cusp of that sort of uh, continuity. <clears throat> At the other end of the spectrum was what you mentioned. In six years of the college football playoff, 22 of the 24 participants were either the, con the Power Five conference champion or two years ago an undefeated Notre Dame team, of course, in most years an independent, uh, was in. That means there were only two out of 24 that made it without winning a Power Five conference championship. Alabama did it once and Ohio State did it once. That means... Coming out of conference championship weekend, we are going to have a team like Texas A&M, which is not even in the SEC title game, but has only one loss. And should the Aggies finish that way, they have a win over Florida, which is a pretty nice resume builder. Would they go to the non-champion Aggies of the SEC? Would they go to the undefeated Cincinnati Bearcats? That's assuming Cincinnati beats Tulsa uh, in regular season play, and then wins the AAC title game. No group of five team, not only has no group of five team ever made the college football playoff, no group of five team has ever come close to winning, the to, to making the college football playoff. The closest was actually ranked number eight. So th that's not exactly, you know, inching, you know, missing by inches. So... <clears throat> depending, of course, on how things go. Everybody expects Alabama to win. Everybody expects Ohio State to win. Most expect Clemson to get revenge on Notre Dame. If those three things happen, I'd be shocked if those were not, of course, three of the four teams. But does that fourth team become an A&M? Does it become an undefeated Cincinnati? Or if the Irish play the Tigers in a close game but barely lose, would they get that benefit of the doubt? If the Irish lose the ACC title game and get that bid, they will be the first conference championship game loser ever to make the college football playoff. I know when we say ever, sometimes that means 100 years uh, or more. In this case, it only means seven years of the college football playoff format. But I do think – you know, certain rules of thumb still apply. No two-loss team has ever been selected for the college football playoff. Uh, no cha conference championship game loser has ever made the college football playoff. No group of five team has ever come close. I do think those reflect the values of the committee, uh, and it'll be interesting to see if any of those nevers becomes a first-timer, you know, in the next couple of weeks. What happens, Dave, if Ohio State doesn't play six games? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's <laughs> I'm not sure. So they're at four and oh now, right? Uh, the last I saw, they were going to beat up on Michigan this week, right? 
mm-hmm. unless that's changed. <laughs> and then you do have a, a Big Ten championship game. So um, I don't know. I guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. You know, Southern Cal out in Pac-12 country has not lost a football game yet. Last I checked, Colorado hadn't lost either. Um, but even if you're the Pac-12 champion, I believe the most games you could have played is six. So how would an undefeated Colorado or Southern Cal be treated if they're the Pac-12 champion, uh, but they're only 6-0? and You know, Ohio State does have a good win. Um, Indiana, some people roll their eyes, but the, the Hoosiers are ranked in the national top 10 uh, and have only lost one game. I don't know if the Buckeyes have a lot more on their resume beyond that. Um, but they'll get a decent opponent, maybe a 5-1 and one or 6-1 and one Northwestern, or 5-1 and one maybe Northwestern in the Big Ten title game. I, I think that uh, would be enough for the Buckeyes to get the benefit of the doubt. But I'm not sure Southern Cal or a Colorado, they, they wouldn't have that equivalent of top 10 Indiana, that kind of win on their resume, I don't believe. Um, you know, may, maybe a Washington or an Oregon in the Pac-12 title game, but neither of them is having a fantastic year. So uh, we, of course, haven't even talked about the Big 12 because everybody in that league already has two losses. Mm-hmm. And most are rolling their eyes at the Pac-12 just because – even the champion probably won't have a great win. Um, It's going to be fascinating. Heck, Coastal Carolina has a better win and is still undefeated. You know, that win over BYU is a better win, I would argue, than any win undefeated Cincinnati has, any win undefeated Colorado has, any win undefeated Southern Cal has. Um, You know, again, group of five is not likely to be – viewed that way uh, because the rest of the schedule isn't enough. But it's interesting to compare these teams, especially in shortened season. Dave, quickly, uh, as we uh, head towards the end here, let's shift to what we normally talk about towards the end of a season in this conference and, and many others, and that's coaches on the hot seat. But but in inside that uh, or underneath that umbrella, the uh, the Satterfield situation at, at Louisville. He he has uh, done a good job of alienating his bosses and some other people in that program just by uh, talking to the University of South Carolina, hasn't he? Yeah, you're right, Dan. And I've known Scott for a long time. I mean, believe it or not, since he was a high school football player here in the Triangle part of North Carolina, and it's really out of character for him to to do what apparently he has done. Louisville, remember, is a school that once had Bobby Petrino who was infamous for interviewing for a different job without telling anybody, sometimes even taking a job before telling his current employer. Uh, Just, you know, the opposite of what you would think of as integrity or the right way to do things, or sometimes the contractually contractually obligated way of doing things, just communicating with your athletic director. I don't think there's irreparable damage there. But when Scott Satterfield went from public statements about loyalty to the Cardinals uh, to headlines about how he secretly spoke with the Gamecocks uh, and he tried to explain it away as, you know, well, my mom and dad don't live too far from there. And and it was just a casual conversation and don't, you know, don't make anything of it. He knows better than that. 
I mean, I know where his mom and dad live. They're three hours from Columbia, South Carolina. It's not like he was going, you know, he walked from their front lawn over to, to you know, the university and, and, and just had a casual cup of coffee. Uh, he's trying to explain it away. I think if he had a chance to do it again, uh, he, he would either be candid about it and speak to the Gamecocks or he would have followed up on his public statement and just not talk to them at all. And, and then some coaches who I would imagine it would bear watching as far as, as possible hot seat candidates would uh, center around Virginia Tech and maybe, maybe even Duke. Maybe. You never know. Uh, you know, David Cutcliffe is signed there through uh, the summer of 2023. And that means David Cutcliffe has only two more seasons left on his contract at Duke. And everybody agrees he has been a fantastic fit there, along with Steve Spurrier, the best coach Duke has had in the last 50 years. However, some are asking whether the Blue Devils have run their course. That They're not just losing this year. They're getting annihilated this year. And Coach Cut even admitted that there is a talent deficit in the program. So you never know there. There's a great relationship. I mean, off the charts, great relationship between Duke AD, Kevin White, and David Cutcliffe. So that would be more of a mutual conversation about the future rather than, you know, a, head, a coach's head being on a chopping block. But, you know, other teams that have struggled, you know, Mike Norvell just got to Florida State. Jeff Collins has five more years on his deal at Georgia Tech. Um, you know, Dino Babers did have a bad year at Syracuse, uh, but he also had a top 25 finish at Syracuse just two years ago. So that probably gets him some time. Justin Fuente would be owed a buyout of more than $10 million over four years if Virginia Tech let him go. Uh, the Hokies view themselves as contenders, and they were that at the beginning of the Justin Fuente era. They are not that right now. And keep in mind, Dan, Imagine how different the conversation would be around Justin Fuente. If he figures out a way to beat UVA, the arch rival, to finish this, the regular season, versus what if you're the coach that let a long, long Hokies head-to-head winning streak over the rival Cavaliers? What if you let it end last year in Charlottesville, and then you, on your watch, let the Cavaliers come to Blacksburg, where the game is this year, and beat you back-to-back? I'm telling you, you want to see some hot, mad Hokies that would ratchet up the conversation around Justin Fuente. I know it's only one game, but you guys know how even one game can change the tone of a conversation come uh, coaching carousel time of the year. Interesting stuff. Bears watching, as always. Dave, tell everybody how they can follow more of what you're doing. Yeah, on Twitter, Dan, I'm at David Glenn Show. That gives you a little glimmer into just about everything that I'm doing. And as always, the websites are accsports.com, where we've been cranking things out since 1994 when I created that website. Uh, And as you mentioned earlier, theathletic.com, the Athletic Carolina subsite, one million plus worldwide subscribers, including Dan Scott. So we hope others will join that parade. (laughs) Well, you know, I had to wait until it got down to a dollar a month for, I don't blame a, for a full it. That makes year. You a smart consumer. Yeah, well, you know, you, you Garden of Eden, man, you just kept tempting me and tempting me and tempting me and finally I got uh, I got to where I couldn't stand it anymore. <laughs> you're you're allowed to bite this apple. It's okay. <laughs> yes. Amen, brother. <laughs> Dave, good stuff. We'll talk to you next week. Great to be see with you, Dan and Tom. Good to see you always. All right, we'll be back to close out the show in just a moment. Stay tuned.
Right, we are back to uh, say our goodbyes here on this edition of the show and uh, Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast, uh, episode 18. Our thanks to uh, Dave Glenn, as always, for doing what he does, for Tom Van Hoy, for for uh, continuing to uh, hang out with us on a weekly basis. Um, a lot of stuff to cover, and you know, these next few weeks, uh, two or three weeks heading toward Christmas, are are going to be very, very eventful in the world of college athletics. Not only basketball season uh, starting to gain some steam, and and you know, how many games are going to be played, how many more are going to be canceled, what flexibility, what testing, all of those things. But the college football playoff picture is going to take place just inside the next week or so. Uh, so we will be uh, following that. Can Clemson beat Notre Dame on the 19th and solidify their sixth uh, college football playoff spot in the seven years of the playoffs' existence? As Dave said, is it possible that a Notre Dame loss in that championship game, which would be their first loss of the season, could they still get in? as the number four team. And, you know, Ohio State is is six games enough out of a Power Five conference, and we know they're an excellent football team. There's no question about that. But are, are six games enough if they beat Michigan, win an, a, a Big Ten championship game? Is that enough to get them that fourth team bid over, say, an undefeated Cincinnati team, which might be 11-0? The way the rules are written for the college football playoff in this four-team scenario, I don't think Cincinnati's going to get in even if they are 11-0. I think it'll be a 6-0 Ohio State team. I think it would be Alabama as long as they don't lose to Florida. If Clemson beats Notre Dame, then I think Clemson is in. Cincinnati would have a shot at that fourth spot if it's the top three are Clemson, Alabama, and um, Ohio State, then Cincinnati would have an opportunity to get in if you're going to match them up against maybe a Texas A&M or somebody like that. But if if it comes down to a Cincinnati versus Ohio State, and Ohio State is the uh, Big Ten champion even with only six games, Bearcats don't have a shot, and and that's just the unfortunate nature of the playoff. And, uh, you know, to that end, I think this may be one of those other linchpins that's going to lead to discussion to expanding the college football playoff field to eight. And I think eight would be perfect. Now, there are some people who are saying that the regular season is is meaningless even with four teams. I don't think that's the case at all, but I think it would even make the regular season more eventful if it was an eight-team playoff because you'd have more teams that have opportunities. And then you would have to create a slot for one of the group of five teams every year. So you'd have uh, you know, four major conference champions or maybe six major conference champions, a group of five champion, and an at-large team. Or you know, five, uh, the, the group of five, five conference champions, two at-large, and the one group of five would probably be how it worked out. Uh, I think an 18 playoff would be the perfect number. Uh, but the next time uh, the NCAA or the uh, Power Five college football people call me and ask my opinion will be the first time they have done such. And uh, I don't anticipate that phone call coming anytime soon. Listen, have yourself a great week. We look forward to uh, coming back and seeing you again. 
on the podcast. Remember, it's available on all of the podcast uh, forums out there. We'd love to hear from you. And you can leave us a note uh, on any of the podcast sites, or you can email thedanscottshow at gmail.com. Our thanks again to Todaro Pizza in Greenville for being our podcast sponsor. Todaropizza.com, T-O-D-A-R-O, pizza.com is that website. Lee Collins coming up next for those of you listening in Abbeville, and we'll see you again next week. Until then, I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you, and so long, everybody.